Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki. I'm Okay. Or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. What did you think, Sable? Oh, that was excellent. Yes! That's that <laughs> makes me happy. Uh, my name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony, and I don't have to say my humblest apologies today, because I actually have the wonderful, the only Sable Sweetgrass on my show. So, and I, I obviously learning to say it properly, but I really, I appreciate you not just being on my show, but like it's that bigger picture of doing that land acknowledgement of saying, hey, you know, these are your lands and nobody yeah. really, are, uh, nobody understands the gravity of colonialism and the idea no. that these are your lands. And yeah, and it, it really bothers me that people don't get it. So anyway, I try to do that land acknowledgement, but then I say, you know, I'm Michelle Robinson. I was born Michelle Elliott. Very English names that have afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but the Indian mm-hmm. Act imposed status card from the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. And my father, he's so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution. Oh. Right? Through that guy. So I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family's not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. Uh, my people are uh, the... I'm, I'm way up in Treaty 11, the land of the hair people called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. Yeah. And uh, we, in our language, we call Calgary Clincho uh, Tine Intehe, and it means uh, the Calgary Stampede for many horse towns. Oh, town. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... That, cool. Yeah, so welcome to my show. I'm so grateful that you're on today. Um, oh, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, so we we got to bump into each other today in a meeting, so that made me so happy. And you're like, hey, let's talk about racism in education. And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, and I was, I was really excited for this meeting that came up today. And, uh, and I thought, you know, like, um, this is my chance to... to um, talk about uh, education here in Mohkinsis in Calgary. Um, I was just so glad to see you there because I was looking around the room and I was like, oh, I don't know anybody here. Same. And then and then you come walking in the door and I'm like, oh, thank God, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think everybody else there went, oh, no, Michelle's here. <laughs> well, take that as a compliment. Right? You know, when you're making enemies, I'm just kidding. No, everybody was really welcoming to me, but I, well, it kind of got weird, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I I actually got a call from, I think, one of the organizers afterwards, uh, because I did leave. And I I mean, I I guess, I don't know if we should, uh, like, maybe... Uh, talk about exactly what happened it was kind of confusing sure but um the meetings this was the um i can't remember the entire title of the i have it in front of me coalition of anti-racism in the 
education in Calgary. Yeah. Something like that. One of their letterheads, they have Coalition for Equal Access to Education. Right. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, And so I was was, uh, encouraged to go by um, my employer, so uh, Calgary Arts Development. So I was really, I was anxious to go because I... Uh, I'm currently dealing with the education system with my son, who's in grade 10, and or sorry, grade 11. And uh, so I was really looking forward to this gathering. And uh, But yeah, the first thing uh, that I noticed, and then you noticed it as well, is there was no land acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we're just at this point in time in history, we're like, that's just kind of like a staple yeah. that people do. And, um, and so to not hear it, I have, ne- I haven't been to a meeting in so long where they don't do it. Right. And it was, it just stuck out and I was like, wow. So they don't. So I, I mean, like I didn't know, I thought, well, just see what happens. And, um, and so when you brought it up in the little um, subgroup meeting that was happening and, uh, and it just, there was just a weird sort of like interaction that happened. It was like, yeah. okay, what is this about? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, you're talking about anti-racism frameworks and it's like, okay, but we didn't even have a land acknowledgement. And then, uh-huh. uh, and I found it funny cause, uh, it was that defense of like, no, I'm a total ally of the Blackfoot people down South. And I looked at you like, Oh, because we're not on Blackfoot territory and there's not a Blackfoot person in the room? Uh, uh-huh. Awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, it was. It was awkward. and um, But it was, I feel like it was sort of like something I kept, I've, I've heard so many times before, like sort of like somebody trying to explain themselves, but it's sort of like I hear it a lot. Yeah. And uh, over the over the years, over the decades, hearing you know, like people ex- explain themselves, and and um, I actually got a call from her later on, and and we had a chat about it, and um, and I told her like I was uncomfortable, I I I thought it, I was offended, and so I thought maybe this is just not the the what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I'm going to step out. So I just. I laughed, um, but I mean, you know, the whole land acknowledgement thing, it made me realize how important that land acknowledgement is. Yeah. Because I've, I've been hearing, sort of been hearing people saying, do we need to do land acknowledgements every meeting? And I started wondering, like, I don't know, do we? But not hearing it was like, was felt like an insult. <laughs> well, and it was like here we are, our initial meeting for some so-called anti-racism framework discussions, and we don't acknowledge colonialism. And mm. I, I don't know if you were there or you had already gone, but there was some, like we did kind of a ending circle, and there was a conversation about 
um, a lot of people were concerned about basically asking youth about their experience, not just youth, but anybody about who deals with racism, their experience and, and how to deal with the trauma of reliving that. But there was also another person who wasn't Indigenous in any way, shape, or form. And they were like, yeah, so I'm wondering, are we going to have any discussion about um, colonial lens and uh, and that type of thing? So, And uh, so after we were kind of done the meeting, uh, the chair, she approached me and she said, hey, can we have discussions about land acknowledgement? And I think maybe we'll teach the board that. And uh, I think you know, I do a an hour long presentation on land acknowledgement. So yeah, yeah, I offered that. I said, you know, we can do that. But with, we said we would reconnect on, uh, you know, email later. But I yeah. was kind of, you know, wait to see because you and I are processing this and you, you know, you kind of processed it a bit. And I uh, sat down with my family for dinner and kind of processed it a bit with them. But, you yeah. know, when they process it, they may do the whole you know, oh, I'm really too offended by this conversation and I don't want to do it with her, and which is fine. I don't care. But it's that bigger picture that, you know, we all process things differently. So they may not even email me about it. So we'll see. I think, uh, well, when after uh, I had to sort of like think about it and I, I was just had a quick chat about it with my mom and uh, and we ended up having like this big discussion about... Um, about you know our own like thinking about our own experiences our feelings around the um uh like new canadians new i guess settlers and indigenous people and the interactions that happen and stuff and um and how things have changed over the years and i thought you know like it's a really important discussion to have. Um, and so when the lady called me back, I think her name is Anna, when she called me back, she apologized and I accepted her apology. And um, awesome. and I told her, well, I'd be more than willing to come back. But if we if I do come back to the next meeting, uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to have to acknowledge it, not just the land acknowledgement. We're going to have to talk about um uh indigenous people as a starting point because how can we not right you know like um i understand like that that new canadians especially in this day and age are facing a are facing a lot of like uh harassment and uh discrimination by um you know by maybe white canadians or whoever but mm. um but if we don't acknowledge the first acts of discrimination that have taken place and the racism that have taken place on this land then how you know how can we talk about what's going on right now totally right <laughs> and um so she said that she would like really like to do that this next or whenever the next meeting is sure i told her yeah i would i would uh i would come back and, and talk to them about it talk some more about it but um because this whole topic of schools especially with the budget cuts and everything is so important right oh my goodness i uh, uh so before you called 
you know, I'm doing my setup, my computer setup, and uh, I still get old email notifications on an old account of mine. And one Uh of the emails I got was from the Alberta Human Rights Commission. And they said, Mm. as of today, all of our funding's cut. So I was like, holy, kind of, I've been really taken, like, I ran, right? And I ran as a liberal because I knew... I knew what to expect from Jason Kenney. I mean, we all live through I don't know more. So, like, you know mm-hmm. what to expect of those types of people. So that's why I, um, you know, I ran. But, and I knew they were going to, they were campaigning on cuts. They were campaigning on basically, you know, giving, taking from the poor to give to the rich. They, they campaigned on it. So it wasn't a big surprise to me. But at the same time, it's really surreal when you read the email like today, sent at 510 with the establishment of our grants. You know, we thank you. And, you know, the positive change has been immeasurable. But as of now, no longer accepting any new um, any new proposals. And the whole human rights education and multicultural fund is being dissolved. Wow. Boom. Boom. Yeah. And that's really hard to read. Um especially when you run to fight for that. You know, those are the types of things you're fighting for. And so this work that they're trying to do, of course, it's important. But bloody hell, like, I just... (sighs) The lack of Indigenous lens to begin with makes it unsafe for Indigenous. So, like, that next meeting, obviously, I'll come to. Because, one, I want to be support. But two, it's that bigger picture that it's like, how can I ask Indigenous youth to be a part of this if I know we're not doing the legwork, right? So, right. like, so if we do the land acknowledgement teaching for the board, that'll be great. But I'll probably suggest that we do it for everybody because, mm-hmm. um, like, there's a that was a huge circle, and a, most of that circle was newer Canadians, um, and at the very end, they had. Uh, one of the folks even say, I wasn't educated here. You weren't educated here. This person over here was the only person educated in Canada. And they weren't even educated in Alberta. Yeah. And you and I are looking at each other like... I know. <laughs> you know, this is a pretty big gap in conversation, in anti-racism yeah. work, let alone education work. So, Yeah, it was... Um... I was kind of getting the feeling that I was like, am I, you know, because we weren't really acknowledged. And I thought, am I a token in this? Are you and I a token in this situation? I know. Um, <laughs> and I thought I better, you know, I better just like take a step back, figure it out. But um, I agree with you. We, we really, in this, in this time, in this political climate that we're in, we need to uh, come together as a community of um, people of color mm-hmm. and uh, to, you know, to discuss these things that we're all dealing with, which is racism and discrimination. And especially when it comes to our kids who are fa- now facing it in school. Yeah. Um, and so we have to come together. We have to talk about these things. There has been a history of, of um, racism in terms of new Canadians towards Indigenous people. And I think that's kind of what one of the reasons why I 
I got a little bit uneasy and yeah. I, I thought I better, I better leave. Like I better just like walk out, like walk out because I wasn't, I guess I, I, I wasn't sure. Like I wasn't sure what was going on because, um, and I think it's something that we need to talk about. Um, you know, when I was growing up here, um, I, I was just having this discussion with my mom, like those times when, you know, in the eighties and elementary school, when I wasn't, I was maybe like one out of two brown skinned people in a classroom, kids in a classroom. And I wasn't allowed to play with, you know, uh, the Asian kids or the, or East Indian kids because I was native Mm -hmm. and so and uh, it I mean I didn't realize this until much later when um, I had my my first friend like close friend who was Punjabi Um, her name was Samantha and um, I went to go visit her at her house and I think by this time I was already 17 18 um, at the time and I met her family and we um, we became like really like best friends. But um, uh, what bonded us together was that she's, she's transsexual, I was transsexual and that's what kind of like started our friendship. And so she faced a lot of discrimination within, within the uh, in East Indian community and within her own family. I was kind of facing the same thing within the indigenous community. And so that's kind of what bonded us together. Mm. But when I visited her house, um, she let me know that her family didn't really want me to come over anywhere because she said they have a view of native people, that native people were alcoholics, that we were drunks, that we steal. And, and I was like, oh, my God. And she was, you know, she was, like, apologetic about it and everything. Sure. And, but, um, and then I had this conversation with other friends who were um, good friends who were of different um, ethnic, you know, minorities. And um, I just, I guess I just started thinking, like, there's... Um, and I think we, I think we have all maybe encountered this in the past. That sometimes p- new Canadians have come here and have taken on some of the um, the stereotypes totally. that Canadians, that um, white Canadians have had uh, of Indigenous people, and maybe it's you know like if it's in order to fit in with. Canadian society um but I've always there's always kind of been this awareness that that um that new Canadians might have this perception of of us Mm. um I also got it when I was whenever I used to catch a cab there was like a time when the buses were not working in Calgary during like a bus strike and I had to take a cab to work every day mm. and I dreaded it because the cab drivers were um would say very derogatory things about 
indigenous people. Um, and so I guess I'm, I've always been, I've always been aware of this kind of uneasiness and this kind of this, this difficult relationship thing between New Canadians and indigenous people. Mm. But, um, which is why I, I thought this might be, this might be a forum to talk about it. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I hope, it, I, I hope that, that we can, um, but uh, if that's not what it is, then um, if it's just, if it's just going to be a talk about how uh, new Canadians are being discriminated against in the schools, then I don't know that I can contribute to that conversation. Right. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. No, I felt that when they talked about the root of the board being about ESL, um, even the language that that's older terminology, because now they use uh, English, not in ESL, like English as a second language, but English learning learners or something where it's like, because they, they, they understand now, there are a lot of people that have like four languages under their belt. And right. English is like their fifth one. So, <laughs> yeah. So they even changed it to like ELL and I can't quite remember what for, but it, it's basically saying that they're English learners because English may not be their second language. It may be like their sixth. So, yeah. So I found that <laughs> funny. Um, I want to share something with you that I don't know um, if you remember, but in uh, 2015, so the reconciliation um, you know, 94 Calls to Action came out and the Syrians were coming to Canada. And we had a, this big town hall at the, um, I guess it'd be at the John Dutton, the old uh, uh, main library downtown. And then she called this town, town hall to say, okay, what are we going to do? And I suggested that we, because um, we have all these white hatters in the Calgary airport for those who are not from Calgary and um, the white hatters are cowboy looking people, mainly old retired people. And they welcome folks into Calgary and I don't know, give them tourist brochures and stuff like that. So I was, I suggested that the, the new Syrians hear our drums, see us in regalia and smell smudge. When they get yeah. here, that should be the first thing that they see. And um, yeah, everybody clapped. And But that's not what happened. And then right. uh, if it wasn't for my friend Saima, she was the one who'd be like, okay, we're all going to the airport at two in the morning. So I would go up in regalia and I would drum a song. But I mean, that was like one out of 10, right? right. And there was no smudging. And there was mm -hmm. no official welcome from the Blackfoot because this is Blackfoot territory. And, um, you know, it, it, there were so many things that really bothered me. And then it turned out Nenshi and the city planned some kind of Syrian welcome, but it was like not open to the public. It wasn't open to all of us. I wasn't included at all. I actually found out kind of through somebody. And mm -hmm. uh, so I was like totally offended by that. I'm like, really? You guys totally messed this up. But whatever. It just happened. But yeah. at the end of the day, I have met new Syrians today that have told me that they were told to uh, stay away from all Indigenous and all of the stereotypes were taught to them and they had to undo them. And um, I worked with the Center of Newcomers on this like pilot project 
to try to like focus on the 93rd and 94th call to action. And um, they had put together like an eight week uh, seminar. And the biggest issue we had was the teachers were like, this is all new to me. And I'm like, and this is why we need to be teaching all the newcomers this. So Mm -hmm. I don't know whatever happened with it, but I always thought this could be a framework that could be utilized all across the country. Just of course, change from, you know, Blackfoot territory to whatever other territory that it might be run in. So, mm-hmm. But I don't think it ever took off. Wow. Yeah. So it's hard. You know, um, when I was, I was working at Bow Valley College uh, like <laughs> from 2000, 2008 to 2014, uh, working with um, uh, Noella wells at the the aboriginal center Mm. and uh, the student center and so we started getting requests from the at the time they still said esl um we started getting requests from them to for for us to go to their classroom and talk about uh uh indigenous people and we would (laughs) we would usually get like an hour (laughs) which is like you know it's kind of like they this this idea that we can just kind of wrap it all up <laughs> in one hour um but um i can barely you know, do a land acknowledgement but um but we would get start the uh, conversation and, and so we're in a we were in a room with people from literally from every corner of the earth you know like and they had so many questions and uh we would just have to say okay well you know if you guys want to come to the native to the aboriginal center uh and you have any more questions we can answer your questions there um we we kept getting all these requests to to do these presentations and it was because there was just like this um we hope when we when we would talk to them we wouldn't shy away from hard questions. Awesome. So we would, if they wanted to ask us about, you know, any kind of, any of the stereotypes, any of the, uh, you know, whatever they had heard about Indigenous people, I, especially me, I was open to to, to acknowledging whatever those were sure. and talking about them and unpacking them. Um, and because, I mean, how else can you dispel them without talking about them and so uh when i moved over to the um public library um last year the central library i started going to they they sort of have like a it's called um uh coffee and uh i can't remember the name but it was it's like a group of people from all around the world who are new canadians and they have like coffee and conversation to practice their English uh, skills. And so I presented to them and uh, I did a PowerPoint presentation and really like did as much as I could within the time that I had. And afterwards, like they were just, they were so full of questions, this like thirst for knowledge of, you know, like they want to know this is their new home and they want to know about it. Sure. And, um, we were just sort of, before I left the library, we we're sort of talking about how we could start some kind of a program because 
apparently the Canadian government doesn't like uh, they don't do enough to to introduce um, who are Indigenous people to the um, to the newcomers. I mean, just to say, just to tell them to quiz them on um, First Nations, Inuit, Métis. I mean, but do they even know what Métis is? Do they even know what Inuit is? I mean, like these are just terms. Like these are, you know, yeah. They don't. You, you, there's no. They're not given. I don't think any real context or history. Um, but uh, it's a real need to be able to talk about this, and I think they want to talk about it. But the people, whoever the people that end up organizing these kinds of um, these kind of environment where we come together, it seems to be that they organize it in such a way that they avoid that conversation. Right. That's awful. You know, but that's so typical too. I, I, uh, I get really upset about it, um, especially with teachers and education where mm-hmm. they are so afraid of the conversation. They find every excuse to not have the conversation. And, uh, you know, they would rather not have a conversation and completely erase us than to so-called do it wrong. And, right. uh, and to go back to your point, though, about the citizenship test and stuff, um, my understanding was that when Harper got into office, they changed it so that it had more questions about hockey than it did about Indigenous people. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I haven't heard an update of did they change it back? Did they update it in a better way? And I haven't seen, you know, anything to showcase that they have done way more Indigenous content. So that's why this whole concept of reconciliation, I should ask you, what what happens when I say the word reconciliation to you? To me, to rec- about reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I, for me, I'm just like um, we've. You've probably heard this before. It's like reconciliation. Is, we haven't. We've just started talking about the truth of what has happened. Right. And um, and teaching the kids in in schools about the truth of of what Canada is and how it was founded. Um, But there's all these people that want to just like jump straight to reconciliations as, you know, like Mm -hmm. they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear about it. They just kind of, it's sort of like, "Mm, yeah, okay, let's reconcile. Um, But if you can't acknowledge, you know, if they can't acknowledge it, yeah. Then um, the truth, then then the reconciliation is hollow. It's not sincere. And um, I've, every time I every time we talk, I I'm in a situation where we got to talk about reconciliation. Even at my workplace, I sort of bring it up about truth. Yeah. That we need we got to talk about the truth, and and I can immediately sense like in any situation when you when you start to talk about the truth it gets uncomfortable. Like it, you can see people sort of tensing up or you can feel the tension in the room, yeah. but you know, um, you know, we're starting to, we're also starting to realize that we have to get comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. And, um, and you know, if we want to, if we want to 
you know, genuinely acknowledge and, and genuinely reconcile. We have to, this is what we have to do. So, I mean, when you say it, you know, I know that, I know that you know that, mm-hmm. that this is, um, that part of reconciliation is the truth. Yeah. Um, but I think when, you know, when we hear it from other people, I'm starting to feel like, okay, you know, uh, what are, what is their intention? <laughs> what is their, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's uh, really disingenuous and it, and it sucks. Um, so I don't know if you know, but my, so my family is from, well, Treaty 11 area. So they were forced to go to Fort Providence. Um, there's a Catholic school that was there called uh, Sacred Heart. So mm-hmm. my granny went there and then um, I, I have a ton of aunts and uncles like every other Indigenous person. And um, my because she finished, she went there at the age of like 18 months, all the way until she was 18. And so she, and she didn't have her mom, her mom had died, she was denied. Um, so I guess my great granny was denied uh, medical care. And as um. a result, she died. And then my, my um, uh, great grandfather uh, gave her willingly to the residential school, because he wasn't capable of raising her at the time. So my granny Ray was like literally raised in residential school. And as a result, yeah, she actually, I guess, was an ambassador at one point in time. So they used her to go around and be like, no, it's not that bad. I promise. Because, you know, she was born and raised in it. So she didn't know. So all the, all the nuns, they spoke French and they only taught in English. And then everybody spoke Dene there. And because Métis are there. So there was uh, like four four languages. And she said she did earn, learn a little bit of Spanish as well. But she only ended up with a grade nine education. Because as you know, they were only allowed to get a grade nine education. So she was right. there for 16 years. So um, now this is where it gets a little fuzzy in my family. We know she had a baby that died. We don't talk about it. We just know... There, I have an either an auntie or an uncle that died immediately. So whether it was a stillborn, whether it was something awful and horrible, nobody really wants to talk about, we don't know. Um, but I do know my mom was, she's the like next one that lived. Um, she was born from rape. So I don't know if it was a visiting priest. Like I want to find out who her, her, her father is. But, you know, it's one of those things like it's rape. So I can't really... You know, mm-hmm. hey, mom, tell me about your dad uh, kind of conversation, right? And right. also to my granny out of respect, too. You, it's like I try to tell other people. It's like trying to talk to a war vet about um, their trauma. Like you can't, right? Right. So I, I don't really um, – at, at any rate, what I was trying to get to was from there on, most of my aunts and uncles all went to – Yellowknife Catholic school, like a, and it wasn't considered what's called a day school. It was just a regular Catholic school inside of Yellowknife. And um, then my grandfather, um, he went to jail. And because he went to jail, my granny gave my three youngest um, aunts and uncles to the residential school so that she could go to school, so that she could have a trade while my uncle or my grandfather was in, in jail. So I have, she went to residential school, 
my youngest auntie and my two youngest uncles all went to residential school. And today, my mom lives with both my granny and my one uncle who went to residential school. And my other uncle passed away. And my other auntie lives up in Yellowknife. But my my mom, my granny, and excuse me, my uncle all live in Edmonton. So, um, and my mom is a victim of domestic violence. So she has, uh, how does my husband put it? Um, she's always a couple of conversations behind. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, apparently my dad had smashed her her head. So she has like a head injury, but I think it's one of those things nobody really has a real diagnosis. No one talks about it. We don't we don't talk about that stuff, right? right. Um, we don't talk about divorce because they're all good, strong Catholics. So, you know, it's a it's a family shame that they even divorced. And it's like, it's not a family shame. They were going to kill each other. So I think it's probably a good thing, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. But they were raised with that really strong Catholic belief system that you never, ever, ever divorce. And to this right. day, my, my granny is still proud that she stayed with my grandfather. So when he got out, they don't live together and haven't lived together since uh, he went to jail. But um, she's still proud as a Catholic that they never technically divorced. Uh-huh. That's how insidious their faith is about it, right? right. So, even when it's the most unhealthy relationship. It's still the spiritual relationship uh, trumps it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the Catholic Church has, has had like you know, it's, um, had its effect on on my family too, um, especially residential school. I mean, like my my mother and father went to residential school. My grandparents on both sides went to residential school. Um, I mean, I'm the first person first generation that didn't have to go to residential school but so affected by it right um and that you know like i don't think that you know canadians understand that you know how how much we um like our generation is affected by residential school it's like affected every part of our life and how we think and how we go through the world too mm-hmm. um and yeah like um especially like when it comes to religion you know like um i was raised catholic and um but at the same time we did my grandmother did uh take us to um like our the blackfoot sun dance mm-hmm. so it was like we would do both but we all at the same time we also she would not miss a Sunday at church. Like she was, she's still a very like strict kind of like not, well, not strict, but she makes sure she goes to church like every Sunday. And she's like 90 years old now. Yeah. Um, but um, that's actually part of the conversation we need to have though, about immigrants, because like Jason Kenny and, and Harper, what they did was that they were like, yeah, let's have all the immigration. What? So they canceled like uh, 10,000 brown people. So if you were from Pakistan or if you were from India, you were erased off the list, even if you were going through the proper immigration channel. But what they do is they bring a disproportionate amount of uh, Christians and Catholics to Canada. 
So like you'll have colonized people from all over the world that yeah. are like our our family that are so strong Catholic. So they might be from Nigeria, they might be from wherever, but they're strong, strong Catholics because they were given the green light by Canada to come here because of their Catholic faith or their Christian faith, I should say. Yeah, I, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I think um, but it's all about preserving, you know, the, I mean, we see it in Quebec. It seems to me like the, the, this whole ident, Quebec identity and, um, and it's really based around Christianity, mm-hmm. maybe even like the Catholic Church itself. Um, but I mean, the, um, the, the schools that my grandparents and my parents and grandparents went to were Catholic and I was forced to go to Catholic schools in the city and, um, uh, it's kind of infiltrated our life. And so being transgender, um, being a transsexual woman and transitioning so long ago, um, I immediately knew that I was in conflict with that. Mm-hmm. Like it was very apparent that, wait a second, like I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm just not a part of this. I, I can't be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um, and the more as I got, as I got get older, the more I've, I've looked into it and I realized how much the Catholic Church and other Christian uh, religions have. Uh, have done to erase and um, uh, not acknowledge two-spirit or um, indigenous LGBT identities, which were such an integral part of of uh, indigenous culture mm-hmm. uh, prior to colonization, and and how much it has affected our own people and the way that they look at us, the yeah. way that they look at um, uh, gay, lesbian, transgender people. Um, that's something that we have. Been, that's even even with all the talk about around transgender and, and LGBTQ, we haven't really had these conversations even within the school system about about how much has been um, how much um, two spirit and trans indigenous people have been. Uh, erased like attempted to be erased from from all conversations um but i mean i think i wonder sometimes when i walk into a room if um if it may if if i'm if i'm um making people uncomfortable like (laughs) this is something that i'm very self-conscious of and and um and i don't want to but on one hand but at the same time i sort of had to uh create space for myself sure um you know like um there was growing up there was never a safe space for me i just had to make space for me and um and especially in school um especially when it came to uh being around other like other people, other ethnic minorities um, in school, 
I mean, like I there I always sensed that um there was this discomfort around me because of because I'm indigenous, because I was um feminine mm. and I wasn't supposed to be. And so like, you know, my friends who were or my classmates who were, you know, um, for instance, you know, if they were Catholic, uh, Filipino or um that there was a discomfort there. Sure. Um and so there's there's sort of there's so many levels or or layers to it yeah. that 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 um that uh, racism or discrimination or otherness totally when it comes to indigenous people and then add on indigenous lgbtq um one of the reasons why i got really involved in talking about two spirit was that um i guess it, it was still that time where people weren't comfortable talking about missing and murdered indigenous people at all and um even within because you were saying even within our own community you weren't technically safe i i was experiencing that just seeing that and and that's i'm saying that as someone straight and cis i was seeing that exclusion and I, I just felt it was so disingenuous for us to be talking about, you know, gendered violence when we're not acknowledging LGBTQ2 plus at all. And um, and as I unpacked it and unpacked it, I just was like, as high risk as Indigenous women are, I even further, even more, our two-spirit, our LGBTQ2 plus, because of that bigger concept of, you know, hate towards indigenous but taught through indian residential school and then the taught homophobia the taught transphobia and like my own family i have transgender cousins and um you know in my own family not properly um you know given pronouns and such and just recently i'd seen one of my transgender cousin and and the way they were treated here um, when they were fleeing violence and, and they were supposed to be safer here. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I seen the transphobia and I, I just thought it was so awful for a child who was like an 11, 10 to have to experience, um, adults being idiots. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how else to say when you're, when you're transphobic or, you know, especially if you're so-called educated so-called social worker so-called person helping families of violence it's like you are perpetuating it by not using proper pronouns and um i actually found a lot of the uh organizations around my my cousin was they were christian based uh -huh. and that just pissed me off even more because my cousin she um only uses her uh catholic background when she's like in a really bad place um but she's trying to decolonize my cousin and then you know trying to decolonize the kids and uh go from there and i think the the base of decolonizing is talking about two-spirit right it's the base of it yeah it's um it's like you know there's we we say that if you're if you're looking out for the people who are 
at the bottom, I guess you could say at the, um, sure. in terms of, because I mean, in Western society, they look at it as like a class system. If you're looking at the people who are, if you're taking care of the people at the bottom, if you're acknowledging those people who are the most um, discriminated against, um, then everyone else, it sort of resonates that <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking out for those people, then it's, then everyone else, after that is going to be acknowledged everyone the rights of of um those few people who who are um are so facing violence and um that if they're if if they're made important then everybody is made important Mm -hmm. you know um yeah i mean for myself like growing up i when I was as early as grade four, um, I started to see the violence towards, um, uh, well, indigenous women, but also the violence towards um, uh, trans people. I, there was, I lived in a small Mormon town in Southern Alberta for a little while and uh, our neighbors, next door neighbors were from the Gainai nation, from my, from my nation. And one of the one of the um, teenagers that was there was a, a trans girl, a trans woman, um, and they ended up finding her. Um, she was murdered, and she was thrown into the Old Man River in near Lethbridge, and that's where they found her. Um, she used to come to my. She, I went to the same school as her. She used to come to our place, and she would like show me how to bake cookies and things like that and um it was like I was at the time I was so young that um I didn't really know that it was her that they had found in the river because they kept talking about her like she was a like as a as a man Mm. and so I would think like I was thinking well what what happened to her like she just disappeared. But then it wasn't until I was much older that I sort of connected the dots and I was like, oh, oh, that's that's who they're talking about. Like, that's who it was. And so I, and then, you know, growing up here in Calgary and seeing um, Indigenous trans people who were either on the streets, who, I, I mean, I was lucky that I had my mother and my grandmother who accepted me and took and protected me. And, um, but I would, I would run into people who were trans and on the streets and young people who should be in school. Right. Uh, you know, then they were, they were usually like around high school age and obviously, you know, the school system was not looking out for them. Yeah. Um, Nobody was looking out for them. No social workers were. Um, and <clears throat> it's like when we don't fit in, when we're when we're when we don't belong, um, then we realize that as a, as a, at a young age we realize we don't belong. Then it doesn't matter anymore. Like school doesn't matter. Yeah. Work doesn't matter. You know, like society doesn't. Ma- the society we live in doesn't matter. 
and um and it all starts like it really does start in that the the formative years in grade school and education that's where it like i that's where it starts like my my mom when i came out to her like i came out in like 1991 when i was 14 going on 15 sure. i came out to her and um she immediately pulled me out of school so there was just no question about it like she she knew that i was in danger yeah and uh so she took me out of school immediately to her because she because (laughs) she was um in residential school yeah she school was was not important like it didn't it wasn't more important than my life Mm -hmm. um so she, she had no problem taking me out of school and and so um here I am today I'm a parent I have a son who's like who's 16 um he was um I'm my my son had my adopted son he um he was born with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder Mm. and ever since he's been in elementary he's had um difficulty with um the school system because it's not made to help him um and it seems like it's only damaging him it's only it's only making things worse for him as an indigenous student and as a person with a learning disability and i just um you know these cuts that happened the one program at central memorial that that gave him comfort which was this this one space where he was allowed to go to uh, when he was overwhelmed by school, they took it away and they took away the people that helped him. So it's like, they don't care. No. And I don't ever want him to feel like he doesn't matter. And I would, so I thought I'm pulling him out. I'm, I'm taking him out of school and um, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to have to teach him myself sure um i don't know i'm really disappointed i'm just like i'm really upset like upset about this whole situation with the school thing but but um i don't know i'm just kind of running on (laughs) no but i appreciate it because it gives context like um so like we've talked about uh you know truth and reconciliation because it's pretty pretty personal and i think uh not just the racism but the um, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, these issues in the school system on top of, you know, trying to ignore Indigenous issues, like, it just compounds and compounds and compounds. And even for me, like, I, um, it was interesting, I, I seen a, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chevy Rabbit, had shared this article of this young 22-year-old um, UK, like, Instagram personality or something, and the, you know how the UK um, sensationalizes the wrong thing and to, to sell something? Basically, mm-hmm. they had taken this, this kid's context or, or these ki- this kid's words out of context and said, you know, um, we don't need to learn about World War II because it's so traumatizing. And um, that was the, the headline and, and all of that. But what he actually said when he listened to the video was... Um, 
you know, yeah, World War II is important, and I don't mean any disrespect, and it, it's super traumatizing, but, um, you know, I just got out of school, and we're not talking about Brexit, we're not talking about um, climate change, and these things are super important to us, and that we have to do these things, and I think that's kind of the whole point, is that for us as Indigenous people here in Canada, here we have all of these kids who are struggling with you know, disabilities, um, not being, being marginalized. And I, you put it so well by saying, um, we, we are erased. We don't matter. We're taught we don't matter. And I don't want to traumatize my daughter with that internalized racism. Um, she was just recently in the news about, uh, you know, that that's so gay is constantly said around her. It's said around her, around teachers and the teachers don't do anything. And the next day at school, the teachers actually like approached her to talk about it. And I was like, really? So it's not enough that you guys don't call it out, but now it, in a way you're bullying my own daughter for having the audacity to speak out. Cause that's what happens with um, these institutions. They get annoyed that you had, you know, the, the um, that piece of you courageous enough to speak out against the system. To talk mm -hmm. about how, you know, you're racist, you're transphobic, you're homophobic, um, you know, you're just not a safe place for a young Indigenous kid anymore, uh, arguably, was it ever. But, I'm, you know, it's that bigger picture that we look at education so differently, and it, that's never acknowledged. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm so sorry that happened to your daughter. Um it's um i mean like it, it just happens to so many indigenous kids right like yeah um you know what i what i really admire about this this generation like i i really identify with this this young generation that that is you know in school right now because they're not afraid to speak out and be who they are yeah they um and you know like uh, when I came out, when I was uh, 14, 15, that was around the time when, like, the AIDS epidemic was, like, in, like, at its peak. And it was just, like, yeah. people were scared to come out as gay, as lesbian, and especially transgender. I mean, it wasn't even really, like, transgender, just um, transsexual, transvestite. But um, That's the terminology I remember, too, around that time. And it's, yeah, it's like, um, and so I had to, like I said, like there was no safe space. There was zero safe space. And, um, but, and people used to tell me, even within my family, people would say, you're, you should probably move. You should probably go like move away, um, like to Vancouver or to San Francisco or to New York or to, these big places where, you know, we assume that that's where, you know, gay people, lesbian people, transgender people, that's where they go. Mm -hmm. That's the only place where we can exist or be safe. Um, but I, to me, I was like, um, this is my home. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I thought, um, you know, I knew I had the protection of my my mom and my 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 siblings and my my grandmother so I felt like you know like 
I'm just going to, I'm going to make space for myself. And, and I, and I did, but it was, and it was really hard and I did have to face violence and I did have to face endless ridicule, but um, I love that these young people today are of that same mindset that they're just not going to put up with it anymore, that they're going to speak out against it. Mm -hmm. And they're, I mean, like, they're facing so much backlash by adults. Right. It's like that girl who came here from Sweden, Greta. Yeah. Um, I can't remember her last name. Cumberd, I think. Yeah. She, like, I mean, she's just a, a young girl to be admired for, like, what she's doing. Yeah. Just a young girl. And, and she has all these old men and these old women uh, attacking her, mm-hmm. you know, um, and driving up to Edmonton to intimidate her. Nice. Like, it, you know, like, um, it's just like, on one hand, I look at it and, and, and it, I get so angry. But on the other hand, I think, I think, wow, like, I, it's just, it's so amazing to me. So Inspiring. I feel like yeah. there, you have to look at it. I guess we have to, we have to look at both sides of it. Yes, there is that really like, that part we don't want to we don't want our kids to internalize that sort of victim kind of mm-hmm. um mentality like um and i and i've had to come i've really had to deal with this like to try and get away from feeling like i'm a victim because i'm an indigenous woman because i'm a trans uh transsexual woman i've had to really really like look at that and think no, I am not a victim, and um, I'm here now as uh, as an adult, as a 43 year old woman, because I fought the whole way to get here, and so I am not a victim. Um, and I always tell this to my son too. Like I'm, I'm always telling him, you know, like we are going to, we're going to deal with this. Yeah, we're going to deal with this. So when it comes to this Calgary Board of Education and and any of these situations we face, um, I I'm always open to talking. I'm always open to to um, to dealing with the situation. But at the same time, I'm not going to allow my son to be a victim. Yeah. Um, which is why I took him out of school. I'm. I thought I'm. I would much rather have him focus on learning Blackfoot language, Blackfoot culture, Blackfoot history, and uh, being around my mother and learning the language than for him to be sitting in a classroom where he doesn't understand what's going on because they're moving way too fast for his, for, for him, where he's at, mm-hmm. and not taking into account the environment that he needs to learn. Yep. They don't even care. Um, so it's like, no, I, he's, he's too important. He's too important to, to, um, just be tossed, you know, to be tossed aside like that. So, um, but you know, like, like I said, I don't, I don't ever want him to, to think that he is a victim Mm -hmm. and that he's, um, he's not important. Yeah. I know. I try to tell my daughter every day that the sun rises when she wakes up and it sets when she goes to sleep in my world. 
mm-hmm. because I I get told from you know the education system, the justice system, um, every media out there, all of these awful things about Indigenous people, and supposedly it's supposed to be better because it's like 2019, but it, you know what it's like, and um, you know it's just so that she doesn't hear that and then on top of that because she's a young teenage girl she has all the insecurities that every teenage girl has and you know gets bombarded with enough crap out there it's so hard to uh try to remind kids how special they are to us yes and and they're also they they're in the they also are connected to world like a whole other world when it comes to social media yeah that we're not yet that I mean like I wasn't even aware of like you know his there's the the world that he my son connects with with his friends um they're you know whether it's the games that they play mm-hmm. um those interactions that they have um and those those spaces can also be game like very dangerous um they're exposing themselves to so much. They're exposed to so much. And it's it's just, it's so, it worries me. And at the same time, it's like, um, just like any parent out there, it's just like, what do I do about this? And how do I navigate this? Yes. Um, you would think that, you know, the one place you can count on is that, you know, the school, you know, school should be a safe space to, the one safe space that you can count on. But then I think to myself, well, it never was. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not for my mom, not for my grandma, not for me, not for my brothers. And, uh, you know, um, not for my son either. Um, <clears throat> so it's, yeah, these, these, it's, it's just so frustrating, mm-hmm. so frustrating, endlessly frustrating. I hear you. Um, oh my goodness. But um, but I mean, like you know, I'm I'm so inspired by when I look when I look at the our community, especially here in Calgary. Mm. I just have to think about you know, um, all the women, you know, especially you, and <laughs> in our community who are just like always on it. You know, we're always there to you know to dealing with these situations yeah and um and it's kind of like indigenous women have always ever since colonizers have 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 you know come into our into our um onto the land indigenous women have always just been there you know, taking care of business, <laughs> taking yeah. care of the kids, taking care of um, what needs to be taken care of. And um, I think it, it was really highlighted with Idle No More. Yeah. Just like, you know, we're taking over the malls, we're taking over, you know, these, these spaces. Um, the, our artists are, um, all the, our Indigenous women artists, I mean, like, when they named that school after Joan Cardinal Schubert, my late, my dear, dearly departed best friend, um, I'm still in, I'm, 
still, you know, just I'm shocked and at the same time just in awe of that. And it, it, it really inspires me. Yeah. I just feel like there's so much good that is happening. Really? We, just, we don't hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth? Um, <gasps> the whole concept, though, that uh, <coughs> we had to fight. Oh, excuse me. I have this cough and I can't. Every so often it really hits me. Anyway, um, we really had to fight, you know, the system to get Langevin Bridge or Langevin School or something renamed. Um, sometimes it feels overwhelming. But at the same time, I think of, like for me, every single day, I think of what my mom went through. I think of what my grandma went through. And I can't, I would imagine you have um, all of your family that inspires you every single day. Yeah. And I, I just think, you know, I'm the generation that has it so much better than they did. And um, that gives me strength in the hopes is that by us having these fights every day with, and I, I don't, I, I guess that's the wrong terminology, by us trying to raise awareness to, you know, all of these mainstream institutions that are Canadian imposed, that maybe they'll see that we can do better and we can work on this together. Um, you know, naively, I, I have a really nice vision and if we only hit like a third of it, at least we hit a third of it, right? That's way more than maybe what uh, the previous generation had and such. So I don't know. There's just that. I know my generations always inspire me, the past ones. And then the idea that if Sam actually has a child, holy, I, would, uh -huh. I don't know. I can't imagine what that will, what that will look like, what that will be like. But it's like... Um, you already give birth to your heart. You already have a, your heart floating around and you can't hold it and protect it. Like um, you can't save them from internet. You can't save them from the schools, uh, media, justice, education, whatever it is. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm the one rambling now. I just, the, no, I the future generation really inspires me. And I never, at the age of, you know, in, in grade seven, being in a climate action strike was something so not in the concept of my world in grade seven. And I'm so, so proud of these kids and my daughter, you know, going on to the CBC and speaking up about these issues. Like I, I couldn't, I can't imagine um, these kids are so smart. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like all I did was eat dirt till I was about 30. <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, if you think about like, um, you know, the work, that you do the work that we that we're doing today like um and and you've done for decades here i'm just gonna maybe some of our listeners who like they don't know the history of of all of the work that you've done here i mean you've you've worked at the glembo which is our local museum you've been at the library you're helping in so many ways and everybody knows if you need to talk about transgender issues should be calling Sable. Everyone here knows that. But, you know, <laughs> arguably, you and I could probably have a whole other show on how we need to start getting paid for things like that. But Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you know, I think about um, my grandmother who, is, who turned 90 this year um, and what she had to go through in her life. And I think uh, when she was my age like 
could she imagine what the world would be like, um, you know, for her kids, her grandkids, her great grandkids and her great, great grandkids. Right. Um, and so it's like for, for our generation, we're, we've, we're, we've taken the next steps and we, I think we can't get too frustrated with ourselves or with, uh, with others too, because we're only, we're only contributing, like we're contributing um, and doing our best with what we know at this particular moment in time. Yeah. And, um, and then our sons and daughters will take the next steps yeah. and then their children will take the next steps. Like it's hard. It's kind of like, we sort of forget about that. I forget about that. I, I, um, I sometimes think like, if I don't change things right now. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but it feels that I, way. So I know where you're coming from. Yeah. I just like, <laughs> it, that's what, that's what really like frustrates me. But I sometimes just have to like think to myself, you know, like let, let it go. Yeah. Um, you can't, you know, you're not going to fix everything. You're not going to, you know, just, we're just talking about, you know, um, not being paid for things I, I realized like um, I need time to myself right. I need I need to um, uh, be able to enjoy my life and enjoy you know my time with my friends and family and I realized that in the past past 20 years I've just really been like pushing 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 and really trying to like break vicious cycles and Mm -hmm. um and make things better and trying to help help others and um I'll never say that I've done enough I mean I'll uh, but I'll say that you know that I'm finished or whatever (laughs) but I feel like you know I've I've done you know I've I'm I'm glad that I've been I've been able to help in some way and uh I think that when I look at this younger generation and I see how vocal they are, yeah, um, I kind of feel like a sense of relief. Yeah, like I, I, you know, if, to see your daughter and to see you know like all these young women and these young men today who are so um, understanding, mm-hmm. so knowledgeable that. I think, oh my God, like, you know, we did a great job, you know, totally. <laughs> and, yeah. um, our generation of indigenous mothers and fathers, um, we've, we've really like, um, passed on, sort of are passing on the torch to them and they're taking it up. They're eager to, Yeah, they're eager to, they, they want to be, a, they want to be a part of it. They really want to be change makers. They do. So. And they inspire us. And I I think that's what gives us hope all the time. And I don't know. I sometimes um, wonder, like, I wonder what it's like for other people who don't have to, like, fight all of these battles. But I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't take this. I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't. Because Me um, neither. it's such an honor to... When I, when I, I used to really, um, internalize that racism and sexism, 
But then when I started to decolonize and I started to understand what my family survived, I like the pride that I have for, for my existence, basically, um, what my family survived in order for me to be here today. Like, I just, it's so overwhelming that it helps heal any of those, like, you know, those days where you're like, man, this has to change right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it gives perspective. So I don't know. I'm just, and I'm grateful. Uh, so I'm only 42. So we're, we're so close. And I just feel like finally you and I just got to hang out and we even recorded it. So I can't wait to put that up and have folks listen to what we had to say tonight. And I, I just wish you knew how much, how um, it, it gives my spirit hope and, um, I feel so normal <laughs> talking to another <laughs> another mother of a teenager and and the some of the issues that you're dealing with and I'm dealing with like I, I just hope you know I really appreciated this conversation well I I'm so glad we had this conversation I mean um I was uh I was coming to the the, the book club meetings <laughs> and then I just like I get so wrapped like I just get so wrapped up in so many things like yeah and let alone like what's going on at my at, with my son and all that I just like uh, there's so much I want to do and be and get out there and be a part of but uh, sometimes I'm just like exhausted and I think uh, you know like I just gotta sit back but I always think I, I when I go on Facebook and I look and I say what is Michelle up to <laughs> and you know what's this person up to what's this person up to yeah you know um because I mean, like, we're living in exciting times, as crazy as they are. Sure. Yeah. We we are living in and exci- really like interesting, exciting times, and um, and I'm just so glad that you know, like, I'm, a, you know, I have peers like you and so many other Indigenous women and LGBTQ people here in the city and artists and I mean like it's just it's just like a really to me really exciting really innovative um time and people to be around so yeah (laughs) no kidding oh I'm so glad I'm I I got to meet you and be a part of this journey with you I, I wish you knew I just you just have so much love for not just you know, the person that you are, but the work you do and the the friendship we have. And I just, I'm so grateful. So thank you so much, Sable, for being on my show and, and just for being my friend and being my person that I can talk to and just breathe with. Thank you. Ditto. Thank you, Michelle. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure Darcy will cut it off around here, but I just, I do mean it from the bottom of my heart. So thank you, Sable. I just... I probably could, should chat with you more often just because, you know, you help normalize my experience. So <laughs> no other reason but that, just as friends. And we should go out more, actually. Yeah. We'll go have some fun together. Totally. I, I love that. I rarely get out. <laughs> Same, right? Rarely.